feel like it's a little anticlimactic coming up here after hearing all about how God's moving and, and just the excitement of uh, where God has uh, taken those campuses and, and what lies ahead. But, uh, but man, God has something in store from his word today, and so I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to uh, be here in the house with Barker. I'm excited to be here online with our online folks. I'm just glad that you're here and glad you're uh, signing on with us today, and uh, also with our Otis folks as well. As you get to uh, celebrate and look forward to the launch of you as a brand new church. Now, we are in this middle of the series called, called I Quit, and uh, I hope we get some quitters out there, right? I mean, through the series that you've been thinking about it, and I know I have as well, thinking about trying to quit some of the things Dan's already been talking about with us, quitting making excuses and quitting complaining, and that we're all becoming really, really good quitters. Now, today, we're going to continue on with this series. We're going to be talking about another thing that we all need to quit, and that is we need to quit comparing. Now, no matter where in life you are, right, it doesn't matter whether you're you're rich or poor or successful or struggling at work. Uh, it doesn't matter where you are in life. Uh, we all fall into this trap of comparing. Uh, we, we start thinking about things like, you know, why don't I have as much as this other person has? Or why don't I have the opportunities that they, they seem to get or that always seem to be around me but not for me? I, I wish I had the talents that this other person had. I wish they had the looks that they had. I mean, hey, I wish I had the hair that they had, right? I mean, we all things have things that we want, and we kind of do it compulsively, even without really thinking about it. It just happens, and frankly, social media has made this about a thousand times worse. I mean, it's just right there in front of us. Think about it. You know, you find him, you know, it's the beginning of 2021, and I'm going to get healthy, and you hop on the elliptical, and you spend 30 minutes there, and the display says you went two miles, and man, you're excited, you're feeling, all right, I'm on the right track, I'm feeling good, and you open up your phone to Facebook, and and uh, all of a sudden, you see that Jeremy England, you know, he just ran up the side of a mountain, ran 10 miles, and with a pack of rocks on his back, you know? Free, you know, all of a sudden, you don't feel so good. You're thinking, oh, man, I like to do 30 minutes, and I didn't even get out of the house, and Jeremy's running through six feet deep snow, and, I, you know, I don't feel so good about myself. You know, or maybe, you know, ladies, you're sitting at home having a nice, relaxing evening, just kind of recharging after the day, and you open up your Instagram, and, and you see your friends out on the town eating sushi with her well-dressed husband, and, and you're eating frozen pizza, and your husband's in the other room playing video games. You know, it kind of ruins the picture, you know, that we thought life was going pretty good. We thought we were feeling about, feeling good about things, but, well, it just didn't measure up when we compared. So let's be real, right? I'm not wrong about this. The struggle is real. And when we see somebody enjoying their life, all of a sudden we kind of get into an argument with ourselves. Well, isn't that nice for him? Isn't that nice for her? If only I had what they had, the time that they had, the money, whatever, then I would finally be happy. Then I would finally get satisfied with my life, which is why comparison, it's such a subtle sin because it's almost always an internal thing that takes place. It just kind of goes on inside. We rarely speak it out loud. It doesn't really seem appropriate to do that. It just plays in our mind, kind of doing its destruction. And frankly, that's why it's one of Satan's greatest tools. He didn't have to do much. All he needs to do is sit back and encourage us to take our eyes off of Christ and simply look and compare ourselves to someone or something. 
Now, Jaquel Crow perfectly sums up the kind of comparison I want to talk about today. And this is kind of a long quote, but I want to read this to you because I think it really captures what we're experiencing and struggling with. She writes, we are plagued by comparison. We compare our bodies, our jobs, our families, our skills, our stuff, our intellects, and an ever-increasing desire for complete satisfaction. We want to be attractive and successful and happy, so we measure ourselves against the people around us. But instead of resulting in contentment, our comparison delivers compulsive jealousy and pride and shame. We envy those who are better than us, and we look down on those who are worse than us. And once we started comparing ourselves, we slide into a, a bitterly insatiable cycle. The more we compare ourselves, the more we need to compare ourselves. It's kind of like an addiction. We're on a quest for acceptance and joy, but we're paralyzed by the pressure to look, do, and be better than the people around us. And because of this, and listen to this, we are distracted from our purpose and our mission and our need to pursue holiness. And this is why comparison is so deadly. Anybody here resonate with that, right? Well, five of us, you know. The rest of us, the rest of you can sit back. The, uh, five of us are gonna have a good conversation. So if you're resonating with that, let's just be honest. No, let's be real, right? Valley real life. So let's be real. We all struggle with this. If you're online, you know, write down that I'm struggling with this as well. Raise your hand online. You know, I want us to look at Scripture today. And Scripture really deals with this issue because it is an issue. And it's been an issue for a very long time but it's going to deal with this issue of comparison. And ultimately, the question of comparison is this. Who or what is going to define my worth? Who or what is going to define my worth? In other words, how can I know that I'm actually enough? This struggle is real. Like I said, it's not new. This, this problem did not arise because of social media. That's been enhanced by social media, but it didn't start with Facebook. It's been around for a long, long time. As a matter of fact, we see the struggle and the results of comparison actually throughout the Bible. Uh, we look all the way back, right to the very beginning of the Bible with Cain and Abel, right? Adam and Eve have sinned. They, they're out of the garden. They have two sons, Cain and Abel. They both bring an offering to God. Abel's offering is acceptable to God. Cain's offering is not acceptable to God. Comparison begins. And that comparison is so deep and that hatred is so deep that it results in murder. Dan talked last week about the Israelites, you know, comparing their time uh, in the desert versus their time in slavery and trying to measure their lives that way. Uh, we read in the New Testament, the Pharisees comparing themselves uh, to other people. They actually, the Pharisees use it to define their sense of, of self and worth and lives and faith. Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 18 of a Pharisee that stood up and actually prayed this prayer out loud. God, I thank you that I am not like the other men. And that's clear comparison. I thank you that I'm not like the other men, robbers and evildoers and adulterers and tax collectors. And lest you think that this is just one Pharisee having a bad day and praying a stupid prayer, uh, this is actually a, a set prayer that many of the Pharisees would regularly pray in their life. Very common prayer because the Pharisees determined that as long as they were better than others, then they thought that made them worthy and respectable in God's eyes as well. 
Now, folks, the list goes on and on. Unless you think that Jesus came in and fixed this problem, I want you to know the disciples, they struggled with this as well. As a matter of fact, you're gonna, we're going to look at an uh, encounter here with Peter in uh, John chapter 21. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to John chapter 21, and we're going to see what happens with Peter and how Peter deals with this issue and how Jesus addresses it with him. Now, to put it into context, we don't have time to go through the whole chapter here today to really understand what's going on. Most of you are familiar, are, most of you are familiar with this story. It's a story about Peter getting uh, uh, reconciled to Christ. Now, Peter when Christ was on the cross being crucified, was approached three different times by three different people who accused him of being one of Christ's followers. He was going to be persecuted by these people. Maybe they were going to stone him, take his life, who knows? But Peter feared for his life, and in fearing for his life, he betrayed Christ. And he said, no, I don't know Jesus. I don't know Jesus. I don't know who, man. You got the wrong guy. I'm not him. Three times he denies him. And... Um, so Peter goes through this process, Christ dies on the cross, he's risen from the dead. And so now we see that Jesus is on the, uh, the, the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Now the disciples have been out fishing, they come in, Jesus is there. Jesus at this point takes Peter aside and he goes, Peter, let's have a chat. And he goes through this reconciliation, this restoration of their relationship with each other and of Peter as being one of the apostles himself. And so he goes through this process, and it's a very loving and beautiful and grace-filled conversation that Jesus has with restoring Peter and helping him to kind of move back to the mark. Now, most of us end that story. When we hear about that story in sermons like this, we often end at that point. You know, Peter kind of is, is restored. He's reconciled to Christ. He's back on track, and we're good. But the story continues. If you look down at verse 18 of chapter 21, we'll see what happens right after Jesus goes through this process of reconciliation. He says this, and this is Jesus talking to Peter. I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. And it says, Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death. Literally, he's saying, you, Peter, are going to be crucified. When you're older, you're, someone's gonna stretch out your arms that you don't wanna do and they're gonna put you someplace you don't wanna be, a cross, and you are going to be crucified. You are going to be killed by, uh, uh, because of your faith and because of your devotion to me, Peter, but this is gonna glorify God. And then Jesus told him this. He said, follow me. Now, now, from the verses before this and from what we just read, we see that Jesus basically says this. Look, Peter, we're good, man. The whole denying thing, don't, don't sweat it. We're back. We're good with each other. No hard feelings. Uh, just, just follow me. Now, if you're Peter, wouldn't you be like going, follow you, Jesus? <laughs> Absolutely. Where are we going, man? You want to walk off the side of a cliff? I'm with you, buddy. You know, I mean, th this was hard on Peter. This love that he got from Jesus was incredible. He must have felt it deeply. And, you know, this, this should have been Peter's response. But this is why I love Peter. It is not Peter's response. Peter is a lot like me. He makes a lot of dumb mistakes. And he does a lot of things wrong. And, and it seems like he does them all the time. He blows it over and over just like I do. And so instead of responding to Jesus in this way, this is what Peter says. Look at verse 20. Peter turned around and saw behind them the disciple Jesus loved, the one who leaned over to Jesus during the supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? He's talking about the apostle John here. Okay, that's, that's who he's addressing. So Peter looks over at John 
And then he asked Jesus, well, what about him, Lord? I, I'm going I'm to follow you. I'm going to die on a cross, but what about, what about him? Comparison. Right there, out of the back. What about him, Lord? Jesus replies, look, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? In other words, Peter, why are you worrying about John? Why are you worrying about what's going to happen to him in his life, Peter? As for you, just follow me. Again, let that sink in. Peter, you're going to love me. You're going to lead for me. You're going to care for me, care for my people. Then you're going to show the greatest courage by actually dying for me. And Peter's response, yeah, cool. What about that dude? How do I compare to him? You can almost kind of see Jesus rolling his eyes. Stop looking at John, Peter. Keep your eyes on me. But see, folks, that's exactly what comparison does. Comparison causes us to look somewhere other than Christ to determine our value and our worth and our happiness, which is why we need to understand that there absolutely is a cost to comparison. Comparing ourselves is no small thing. It's no, you know, just side thought that you're having. There is a significant cost. As a matter of fact, Craig Groeschel said it this way, the fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. Whether it's something special about your relationship with the Lord, whether it's your, about a relationship with people, uh, just some blessing that you have in life, the fastest way to kill it is to compare it. And that's very true because comparison always forces us to see the world and to see people and to see ourselves through the lens of better than or worse than. And that really leads to us the, the real cost of comparison. The first cost of comparison is pride. Andy Stanley says, comparison is living in the land of ER. Uh, the land of ER recognizes that it's not just that we need to have something, we need to have more-er of that thing than anybody else. In other words, we need to be thinner. We need to be richer. We need to be happier. We need to be better. We need to be smarter. And the errs go on and on. The land of Ur is where Peter was living. He didn't want to just glorify Jesus. He wanted to be glorifier than John, right? I mean, he wanted more than John. You know, Paul addresses this issue of pride in Romans chapter 20. 12, verse 3, he says, don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourself, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Faith is central to combating pride because pride is the complete opposite of the faith that we profess. Pride only wants glory for ourselves and sees others in comparison as threats to that self-glory. And Paul knows that if we're going to if we're, not, if we're not ruthlessly pursuing humility, then pride will always come from comparison. But that's not the only cost. See, pride is when we think we're better than others. There's also a side when we think that others are better than us. And that other cost of comparison leads to envy and jealousy and resentment. Now, see, envy and jealousy, it's looking at somebody else and saying, I wish I had what they had. But resentment is actually even a step further, you know, deeper into the hole because resentment, it says, not only do I wish I had what they have, but I wish that they didn't have it. You know, I don't quite measure up to them, and so I either want what they have or I want to make sure that they don't have it. Now, either way, this seems to be an issue for Peter. Frankly, it may also be an issue for the Apostle John as well as you read through the text. Now, I don't know this for sure, 
But as you read through the New Testament, there seems to be some kind of a tension between Peter and John. Now, I don't know exactly what it is, and the Bible doesn't elaborate on it, but we see it there. Maybe it's just simple competitiveness with each other. I don't know, but think about it. I told you all the disciples had been out fishing, and all the disciples came on to shore. So all the disciples, not Judas, he wasn't there anymore, but all the rest of the disciples were standing there, and Peter's having this conversation with Jesus, and he turns and he looks, and he doesn't say, well, what about them, Lord? No, 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 he points to John, and he goes, what about him? For some reason, John mattered to Peter. It was significant. I don't know why he felt that. Maybe he felt threatened because just a short time ago, Jesus had entrusted his own mother and in her care to John uh, when he was on the cross, that, that took place. And so maybe he felt threatened by that. I don't know, but he points out John alone. Uh, we actually see that John seems to be a little intimidated or threatened by Peter as well. If you look just a few chapters earlier, Jesus uh, rises from the dead, the tomb is empty, the disciples find out about that. John tells us that he and Peter took off and ran to the tomb, but John makes a point. John makes a point of telling us that he outran Peter, right? There's no purpose for that other than to say, I schooled him, man, took that boy down. I don't know what it was. John seemed to have something with Peter as well. And frankly, John always spoke about himself in the third person, which let's just face it, that's annoying, right? And so if you're gonna compare, maybe that's it. Whatever it was, John mattered to Peter. Maybe Peter wanted to make sure that he was not gonna have it worse than John. Maybe Peter wanted to make sure that he was gonna glorify God more than John. But either way, he was suffering through this cost of comparison. And just like Jesus' instructions to Peter, we need to stop looking at John and start looking at Jesus and start following Jesus. And that really points us to the cure. See, the cure for comparison, it really has everything to do with calling. It's to recognize that we have a calling. In particular, we have two very significant callings as followers of Jesus Christ. Look back at verse 13. Peter had just been restored by, or excuse verse 19. Peter had just been restored by Jesus, and then he's called to follow him, Right? Now, if he had just stopped there, if Peter hadn't opened his big mouth, if he didn't let his mind jump to comparison, the story would be completely different. But just like us, Peter missed the calling that he was being given, the same calling that we all have. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called God. And that's it, folks. The truth that as Christians, we all have a universal calling. And it's the same universal calling. It's the calling to follow Jesus. Those are the first words that Jesus says to the disciples, follow me. It's the last words that Jesus says to the disciples. It's the first and last words he says to each and every one of us, follow me. Become more and more like me. It's the universal call of every single Christian to become more and more like Jesus as you follow him daily. You know, one of my favorite verses in all of scriptures found in Hebrews chapter 12, right there in the first couple verses, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. We could say the, especially the comparison that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion 
who initiates and perfects our faith. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Peter's calling, our universal calling, is to keep our eyes on Jesus and run the race that's marked out for us. Now, I had a great friend in high school. His name was Chip Umfenauer. Crazy last name, I know, but Chip was a great guy. He and I were really good friends, really tight, best friends, did a lot of stuff together, but Chip was fast. He was a great, great athlete, played football for the school, but his main thing was track. He ran the 100-meter dash, and Chip actually set state records for high school track uh, during his years there. And I remember a conversation that Chip and I were having, and we're talking about racing, and I'm like, you know, how, how do you, how do you, you know, what do you do to that kind of gives you an edge or whatever? I mean, you're you're great at this. And I remember him talking to me about uh, about what he does to to win a race. I'm like, you know, how do you position yourself with the other guys or you know whatever? He goes, no, no, no. There's just two things. I do two things every single time I run. Number one, I get in the starting box and I look at the finish line, and that's the only thing I look at. And I'm like, well, yeah, but you got the other guys. And No, no, no. He said, they've actually done studies and found out that every single time you turn your head to look at the guy next to you, you lose a tenth of a second. I don't know how that works, but that's what he told me. He goes, never, never look at the other guys. Just look, stay focused on your goal. Stay focused on the finish line. That's the only thing that you look at. He says, the second thing I do is I stay in my lane. <laughs> he goes, it actually sounds really simple, especially in a 100-meter dash, it's just a straight race, Right? He goes, but just slight variances to the right or to the left. Obviously, you can bump into other people. That's obvious. But, but even just slight variances will add slight amount of distances that can make the difference between a win or a loss in those really tight 100-meter races. Folks, that's great advice for all of us. As we try to follow Christ, we get there, we focus. You know, as we run this race together, we focus on the finish line. We focus on the goal. We focus on Christ. We keep our eyes on him and don't get distracted by anything else because it's going to get us off course and it's going to slow us down and it's going to hinder us. And then, folks, we need to stay in our lane. Now, look at your neighbor over there. And if you're online, type this in the chat. Look at your neighbor and say, stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. <laughs> folks, our lane is to keep our eyes on Jesus and follow him. Don't worry about what somebody else is doing in their lane. That's comparison, right? Don't get stuck looking at other people's lanes. Don't get stuck worrying about other people's lanes. God has marked out for us our lane. So keep our eyes focused and follow him. And just like Peter, uh, what Jesus had said to Peter, I want, I want to ask you, what is that to you? You know, he asked Peter, what is, it, what is it to you about what happens to John? So what is that to you that everyone always seems to go that person's way? Stay in your lane and follow Jesus. What is that to you that she can manage five kids while keeping her house clean and affording Starbucks daily and reading a book a week? Stay in your lane and follow Jesus. What is that to you that he doesn't have to study and he aces every test while you study all night? You barely pass. What is that to you? Stay in your lane. Follow Jesus. What is that to you, Jay, that Dan can preach the paint off the walls week after week while managing the, the leadership and the load of a church like this? Jay, stay in your lane and follow me. That's our lane, folks, following Jesus. And if you think you need Jesus plus something or plus someone, 
that's in another lane to be happy and satisfied, then folks, you haven't seen the Jesus of the Bible yet. You haven't really met him. British pastor Charles Spurgeon used to say that if you are not content with what you have now, you wouldn't be satisfied even if it were doubled because you haven't yet realized that Jesus is all that you need. See, for us Christians, we need to remember how good God has been to us. But even if you don't feel like God has been that great, even if you don't feel like your life has been full of blessings, the fact that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross to take away your sins is far more than any of us will ever deserve. That's enough, folks. So let's forget about John. Let's just follow Jesus. That's our universal calling But it's not the only cure. There's another calling as well. We have a universal calling to follow Christ, but we also have a unique calling, a specific way that God has called us individually to glorify him. Now, for Peter, that was to glorify God in his life and help establish the church and then glorify God by dying a martyr's death by crucifixion. But let me ask you this. How would your perspective change if you knew that what you were doing each and every day would all end in God's glory. How would your perspective change? But folks, that's exactly what the Bible tells us that God has planned for you, to glorify him with your life. And this is what I know. If you're somewhere, wherever that is, God has called you to be there. Wherever you are at any given moment, God has appointed you to be there and has something specific for you to do. God doesn't waste anything. He certainly is not going to waste your life. So don't waste your life comparing your calling with somebody else's. You are called to exactly what God has called you to be, to exactly what God has designed for you to do, and you are the exact time and the exact way that he has called you to do it. Now, folks, understand this. That means you are one of a kind. That calling is very specific to you. So why bother comparing what is designed in the first place to be one of a kind? That doesn't make any sense. Once you put your faith in Jesus, you are not just anything. You're not just the teacher, and you're God's representative in the classroom to teach students what, just like how Jesus would teach the Pythagorean theory, Right? You're not a barista, you're God's representative at Starbucks so the coffee world can know what it looks like when Jesus serves a a grande triple caramel macchiato light whip with almond, almond milk. You know, how would Jesus do that? People can see that through you. You're not just a stay at home mom, you're God's representative in the home so your kids can see how Jesus will never stop loving them and be patient with them and will always be faithful to them and will never ever give up on them. Psalm 139 says this, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. God made you exactly who you are, and God doesn't make mistakes. See, folks, Jesus chose you, and he appointed you, which means that he will equip you. His grace will be sufficient for you. He will complete the work that he has begun in you, and he has promised to always be with you 
till the very end of the age. Let me just ask you, same, really the same question Jesus was asking Peter at the end of this. Folks, who cares what John is doing? What is that to you? Follow Jesus and glorify him by being exactly who God made you to be in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much. I thank you for the calling that you've given each and every one of us, a calling that, that absolutely can battle and, and shut down this comparison game that we all get so easily trapped in and sucked into. God, help us to celebrate what you have made in us, the life you have given us, uh, the opportunities that are before us, God, so that we can understand that your purpose for our life is that we would glorify you. And that we have that opportunity, God, because you love us so much and you have equipped us and your spirit is in us to accomplish exactly what you have planned for us in the exact way that you have it planned. God, John is nothing to us. We're not gonna worry about John. We're not gonna worry about that other lane. We're just gonna look ahead and follow you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.